morning, good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand, we get to worship our God. So let's sing together. together with us. 
great singing with y'all. Y'all can take a seat. You'll bow your heads with me. I'm going to read from God's Word and we'll enter into a time of confession together. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Father God, we thank You that You are the great Creator God, the God that made all of this. And this week, our culture celebrated a time of thanksgiving. And this morning, we gather as Your people to continue that, to thank You for all that You've made. And we also come as people that thank you as the creator of everything. We also come as those that confess that we often are not thankful, that we often harden our hearts, that we often don't sing your praises. Even though the rocks and the trees and the flowers of the field cry out and praise you and glorify you, sometimes we do not. And Father, we confess that to you. We admit that often we go our own way. But we also come celebrating and thanking you for your grace, for your forgiveness, that you continue to pursue us, that you bring us back to yourself. Lord, we're entering the Christmas season as we celebrate the reality that you entered space and time. You were born as a baby, and you gave your life for ours to bring us back to yourself. And so we continue to worship you, not only as the creator God, but the one that came after us to pursue us, to rescue us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness that you give us through the cross. And pray that we would continue to worship in light of that reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I see the air 
This morning to proclaim you Lord of all. God, we pray that you will help us to see you not as a God who is out there, God, but a God that is in us and willing and able to do great things through us, God. Pray that you will help us to give our lives over to you and trust you to do what is best for us, God. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the hope that we have. Help us to live it out daily. To me, my prayer. Amen. In case you missed the introduction earlier, Daniel is a church planter that we sponsor in the Houston area in Pearland, and I'm very grateful to him. He's been an encouragement to me as a brother in Christ, and also a very Tangible encouragement, letting me have a week off. I, I purposed when we started the church to take every seven or week, seven or eight weeks out of the pulpit, and it's been about 22 weeks, so I'm very excited to uh, take a little break. I miss being up here, actually, but glad to hear from him, and uh, just want to say thank you. Thanks again, man. for you guys to be able to hear it. Um, uh, well, I'm thankful to be back, and it's fun. Uh, yeah, I, missed, I missed Chris. You guys were blessed uh, with your staff here, and uh, so grateful today. Grateful for me for some reason, but I'm just a pain. I always call him and ask him questions and bug him. Um, Last night, the tone of this sermon completely changed. Uh, I had intended to start with kind of funny, imaginary uh, scenarios, and uh, got confronted with some really bad news that a pastor I knew died uh, night before last, and uh, just sort of struck by the weight of it, kind of hit really close to home, right town over from me. Respected him, admired him. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, actually, there was another pastor uh, in our little network who was 
had a seizure on Thanksgiving Day, and um, was they did a CT scan. They found a small mass in his frontal lobe, and I just think, whoa. The Lord is just sobering me, and so it's going to be kind of a sobering, because you guys are going to experience what I'm experiencing. Um, I think what the reality is, you guys had some darkness in Kalina a few weeks ago, too. This, we, can, we can become overwhelmed with pervading darkness in the world. We can uh, get so overwhelmed as we see suffering, and we can really blind ourselves to it, but sometimes it just comes on us. You know I mean, sometimes we can't run away from the fact that there's something wrong with this place. And we, can't, we, we can't ignore it anymore. The circumstances bring us to this place where we just can't deny there's something broken here. And I think whenever we experience that as a culture, like with the economy, uh, the economy goes bad and we look to the president. Fix it. I mean, it's the same thing when my kid scrapes his knee and he gets sad, or he hits his head, and he gets sad, and he looks to me to fix it. We look to an authority. We, we, we are longing for somebody with more power than us to fix what's wrong with this world. And I think as Christians, we have this strange reality we're called to, because we have that urge. We have that urge. There, there's some, we, we found Him, right? We found our authority in Jesus. When we come to Jesus... And he tells us to do this thing that's, that's not what we want to hear. And he says, I want, he's like, I know there is darkness. And I came to restore the darkness, to reconcile a broken world back to its creator. But he looks at us and he says, and you are to participate in that mission. You cannot run away from the brokenness. You can't escape the pain and the suffering. You can't escape it. But I'm calling you to go into it as my disciples, as my missionaries. And I think our identity as, as this sense people, as these people who are called to go into darkness, to go and proclaim good news to, to a broken world, that's scary to us. And, and here's, here's the reality. A lot of us have heard a lot of Great Commission sermons. And we usually sort of feel our our nice little dose of conviction, and we feel our, our pangs of guilt, and we think about those lost people that live next to us, and maybe we need to give them a call, pray for them more. Um, but quickly, I mean, I'm talking to myself here, guys. I don't feel like I'm, I'm yelling at you. I'm yelling at me. Quickly, I get overwhelmed with, with how powerless I am. I just, I just I think, I, I, what difference could I possibly make? I think... Um, what was impressed on me, I started thinking about this a couple of months ago, honestly, um, is that we get so uh, we get so concerned about the to-do of the Great Commission, but we miss what we're called to believe about the one who gave it. There's something foundational to the Great Commission that doesn't doesn't stand on its own. And so I want to I want to read with you. I'm going to read with you in Matthew 28 what's going to be a very familiar passage. You guys have heard it a hundred times, a thousand times, I don't know. Probably half of you got it memorized. But I want you to hear it with an ear towards the one who spoke it. Imagine this is Jesus. The disciples just saw him die on a cross. 
They had spent three years with him witnessing the most miraculous things the world had ever seen. And they saw this man die on a cross. They saw him put in the tomb. Then they saw an empty tomb and a risen Savior. And this is the Jesus who's speaking to them. It's not just some guru, some cool teacher who um, gathered a following. This is a man who had just conquered death. And he says these words to his people. Starting in verse 16 in Matthew 28. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Unbelievable. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, before he gave us any orders here, he ties his authority to it. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to know that before you can have any hope of doing what I'm about to tell you to do. You know this, and then go, and I'll be with you. And I think if we fail to get that authority of Jesus, if we fail to, to see him for who he really is, if we fail to get in our minds what the disciples must have had in theirs, standing in the presence of this miracle worker, son of God, God himself, victorious over death. If we don't get this picture of Jesus, our lives will not be impacted by this news. And it certainly won't be impacted by this command. And so I want to pray that we would get the authority of Jesus and that mission would follow. Let's pray. God, we have a room full of rebellious people, um, myself most of all. God, we, we don't like to be under authority. But God, I pray this morning for a change in our hearts, God, that we would see Jesus for who he really is. And that we would be humbled by him. And that we would see such a great king that we would gladly live and die for him. That we would see such power and compassion that we would be moved to proclaim it. God, thank you for a good king. We pray that we will submit to him this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to draw out this phrase, it's all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I really, I'm going to spend my time there and figure out how that phrase applies to what this Great Commission was. We've heard lots of sermons on the Great Commission and, and I probably couldn't contribute much to the next couple of verses 
Um, but man, the Lord has been teaching me here. And I think there's three parts to this understanding that we need to hone in on in order to better, better understand how Jesus' authority relates to what he's called his people to do. Okay, so there's three things. And the first one is the extent of Jesus' authority obligates us to obey the Great Commission. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm not good at the clicker yet. Um, but this is kind of what we were talking about earlier is the authority of Jesus. The disciples saw him speak to a storm. Just talk to the rain and say, peace, be still in it. Say, what? And they saw this Jesus walk on water. Um, any number of these miracles where this little girl was dead and he said, right. Or Lazarus had been dead in a tomb for, for days. And they're thinking he's probably smelling by now. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. This is Jesus who has authority over, over nature. And not only that, but he has authority over demons. I mean, so Jesus walking around all these demon-possessed people. And these demons recognize the Son of God. And they recognize his authority. And they say, don't, they, they plead with him, don't torment me before the appointed time. And Jesus has authority over these demons to say, go, and they go. Jesus has all authority. And it goes even beyond what we, what we see in the narrative of Matthew. Um, if we turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, we get a, an even more cosmic sort of woe kind of picture of Jesus here. I don't know if that's a theological term, woe. But, um, but look at this. We're going to just read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And who is His Son? Whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the exact, or He's the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His word, or His <laughs> imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we're talking about Jesus through whom God created the world. And not only did Jesus create the world, but he holds it together. So in a very real sense, the fact that your bodies are staying intact, that your heart continues to beat, that you're breathing air in and out of your lungs, that's Jesus. He has the right to ask something of you. He is maker of all things. And who are we? These creations that are held together by the word of his power to look at the Great Commission and say, nope. Makes me kind of uncomfortable. I'm a little worried about my reputation. I don't want to be seen as a weirdo. Who are we to say that? To the man who conquered death. What if the disciples had just said, I'm sorry, Jesus. Standing in front of Jesus, holes in his hands. Who are we to say that? To the one who uttered this command. With the same mouth that he used to speak the world into existence. 
the extent of Jesus' authority obligates us to obey the Great Commission. But we can even, I think most of us, like Christian people in this room, raised in the church, we look at that and we say, okay, sure, that's right. I mean, I, I get it. It's heavy and I get it, but I don't know how to do it. Like we look at that and we say, at best, we say, cool, but how? We look at this, and this, this is why, if, if we were just left with this, it would be a pretty like overwhelming feeling, right? It's just like Jesus said, go, and he didn't give us any indication how it works or, or what we're supposed to do. Um, we'd kind of be in trouble because we'd actually be left... Uh, with some, some strange options. You know, if we see Jesus' authority as real, um, we've got some options as to how to react to that. We could just say, all right, martial law, like, you have to bow the knee to Jesus. Just start legislating Christianity. I mean, if Jesus is really the king and he really has all authority and this is what he wants, let's make it happen, right? That's what the church did for a long time. And they just legislated Christianity. They just said, all right, it's a rule. Everybody's got to do it. And we could, we could totally make these mistakes. In response to the extent of Jesus' authority, we could start doing things that were crazy and are totally outside of what Jesus wants us to do. But he hasn't left us to just guess at how he wants us to obey this great commission. He gives us the how because he lived the how. I want to um, explore the second point here is, is that the nature of Jesus' authority teaches us how to obey the great commission. So what I mean by that is Jesus lived perfectly. And we have four great accounts of how Jesus lived. And we get to see this picture of this, this God-man with all authority and how he relates to his creation, how he relates to his people. And we get to see that it's not, it's not what we would expect. It's a little different. And we would expect this one with all authority to live. But we know we're supposed to get our cues from that because in John 20, 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He says, You need to look at how the Father had sent me. You need to see how I've been obedient to Him because that's going to be your cue as to how to live. And so I want to spend some time looking at how did Jesus express His authority in this broken world. I think it's in three ways, really. Um, I mean, I'm going to talk about three ways. There's probably like a lot more. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I might just burst into like coughing fits. I've been coughing for like a week straight, so pray that I don't because you don't want to hear that. Um, but there's three, there's three cues that we can take from Jesus as to how he lives um, that would inform and teach us to obey the Great Commission. And the first is Jesus was a compassionate and gracious authority. He loved people. And he bore patiently with his disciples. He saw them over and over again just miss it, miss the point. He teaches them, and they're like, what? Teaches them again, what? He's patient. He loves those guys. He's compassionate. He looks at suffering in the world and he his heart breaks. He weeps 
when he looks at Israel and they're like sheep without a shepherd and he weeps for them, compassionate. He sees sickness and he wants to heal it. He sees people being oppressed by demons and he wants them free. He sees people who can't see and he wants them to see. Jesus is a compassionate God, a compassionate authority. And if we are to be sent as Jesus was sent, we need to be a people full of compassion. Love. So, so where we have eyes to see the hurt around us. Eyes to sympathize with, with the, the pastor who has a brain tumor. Um, with your neighbor who's going through a divorce. Just eyes to see the hurt and to respond to it in love and compassion. But it wasn't as though Jesus was just this do-gooder, right? It's not that he was this weepy guy who never spoke up. Jesus was truthful. So he was compassionate. He was very truthful. He expressed his authority with words of truth. And the problem with us is that we really like this part. We want to be right. We want to be able to tell people they're wrong. We like flexing our muscles and saying, like, you're so dumb. Um, maybe you don't. I do. Sometimes. Um, he spoke to people about true things. He spoke to them about the, the weight of their situation. He wasn't scared to talk about sin. He wasn't scared to talk about hell. But he bore this good news of this kingdom that was coming. And he called people to repent that the kingdom of heaven is near. <coughs> he told the truth. He was bold and discerning and captivating and unapologetic. We are to be a people who tell the truth. If we think we can just be very compassionate people and never tell people the truth, we're going to fail at the Great Commission because Jesus did both. And if we're sent like Jesus was sent, we need to be people who do both. Because ultimately what we're doing is in the Great Commission is we're calling people to believe a message. We're calling them to believe a set of truths. And we have to communicate them. That's how God has chosen to restore people to himself is by the spoken message of the gospel that Christ died for sinners. And ultimately, like that, that's my third point here, is that Jesus, he was compassionate, he was truthful, and he was fishing for the right word, because I have self-sacrifice. Jesus was self-sacrificing. He lived for his disciples. He lived life with them. He spent time with them. He ate meals with them. He taught them. He rebuked them. He encouraged them. He was, he was with his disciples. He loved them. He lived three years teaching them about this coming kingdom of God. His life was so wrapped up with these 12 guys that he called them his family. And so, do we see one another in that way? 
do we do we interact with other people of God, other disciples of Christ in such a way that like your problems are my problems. Your joy is my joy. He lived for his disciples, but he died for his disciples. And this is the fullest expression of Jesus' authority is in that moment when he died. When he, as king, stood in our place, took on our sin, (coughs) the wrath of God poured out on him till every last drop of the wrath that was prepared for me was put on Jesus. He died for us. And we cling, we cling so tightly to our lives. We cling so, I cling so tightly to my stuff, my money, my comfort, to my friends. And He died for me. Are we, as God's people, not willing to live with just this loose grip on our things, our stuff. Are we clinging so tightly to our lives that we miss what our Master has told us as, as, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And where did Jesus end up? I mean, He promised that it would be hard. He said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you, for great is your reward in heaven. It's not going to be a picnic. Christian life is not a call to a life of ease. It is a call, Jesus says, to come and die. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. Jesus, the nature of Jesus' authority is expressed in his willingness to lay his life down for his people. And if this hasn't stressed you out like it stresses me out, then you're not listening. If you, if you can hear these things and say, I've got that covered. Um, yeah, I don't want you to feel like, just like any other Great Commission sermon, I want you to understand I am painting for you an impossible picture. That what, I'm, what I'm asking of, of you, what I... What, Christ is asking of us is beyond any of us to live in this way because I look at my heart I look at these things to be compassionate and truthful and self-sacrificing I look at those things and I think man, I fail I fail all those things I fail and I'm guessing most of you guys do too and if not, I'd really love some coffee afterwards we can just talk Um, this is heavy and it doesn't the good news is we're not left to ourselves I want to go to the the third the third point the, the, the source of Jesus' authority which is the spirit of God empowers us to obey the great commission Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Um, in Luke, he reads this passage that the, the scribes 
are reading from, from Isaiah, and, and Jesus goes and takes one of the scrolls from Isaiah, and he reads this passage, and it's about him, which must have been a strange thing. You know, like, I don't want to try to get inside the head of Jesus, because that's a dangerous place to be. But, I mean, just imagine, like, opening this scroll that God's people have been reading for, for you know, 600, 700 years, and Jesus reads it, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus could do those things to give good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to give recovery of sight to the blind. That happened because, the, the first verse, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus walked in the Spirit. The Spirit, I mean, just read Luke and Acts. The Spirit is so thick in those things. And the good news here is that the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to live in this way is in every believer in this room. So when we look at our own hearts and our own hardness and our own failures, we could, it could drive us to despair, right? It could drive us to think we will never, ever live up to this. And Jesus says, wait a second, I died for you. That sin is covered. There is no condemnation anymore for you. So don't, don't leave here feeling guilty because your sin is covered. Leave here feeling empowered because not only has he forgiven you, but he has empowered you to do the thing that you would never be able to do by yourself. In Acts chapter 1, so we'll go there, because we can, I'm the preacher. Um, Acts chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them, this is his disciples, Jesus' disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, guys, don't, don't go yet. Because you're not ready. You don't have the power that is necessary to carry out this mission that I'm about to give you. It's way here. Spirit's coming. And, man, you see this, like, marked difference, right? From, from this ragtag bunch of clueless disciples. And the Spirit comes. And Peter, who had just, like, cowered in front of a little girl days before, saying, I didn't know the man. The same Jesus stands in front of thousands. And he says, you have to deal with this Christ whom you crucified. 
this power, this, this ability to, to speak and to communicate this burden for these people that he saw. And it's from the Spirit. And that same Spirit that converted 3,000 people in one day is at work here, is at work in this city, at work where you work, where you go to school. The same Spirit that empowered them, that was on Jesus, is in us. And God, I'm just, all I'm asking you to do is to believe that, is to look at this picture of this God-man, Jesus Christ, and to believe that He has called us to do something, but He has empowered us to do it. We have, in the Spirit, the ability to do what by ourselves would be impossible. And I believe, and that's why I'm in Pearland, that's why Dave is here, is we believe that God has many people in this city. And we run to Jesus and we say, help us. And he says, I'm with you. I will help you. But go. You are my agent's reconciliation. You are his hands and feet. He will do his work through his church. Let's pray that he would. Father, pray for hearts that are encouraged by your goodness to us. God, I know this was heavy and weighty things we're talking about. But Father, I pray for hearts to believe this good promise that was given to us by our good King that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. This one who has all authority, who holds the universe together by the word of his power. This same Jesus has given us his spirit and has sent us into a dying world. So, Father, I pray for courage among these people. I pray for courage for myself, for my church in Pearland. God, I pray for courage to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And because of that, we can live boldly and work out this great salvation with fear and trembling because we know it is you who works in us to will and to work according to your good pleasure. God, you, you do it. God, we ask you to do this. We pray that you would use us in this effort. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay with us. We sing his words. And so God will send us out to do his will and preach his love to others. And send us
Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the commission that you've given us. And we thank you most of all for the authority that you gave your son and that you gave your son to us. And I pray that we'd be empowered by that and that you would use us to work out your redemption in this world, in this community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you guys.